Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound podcast. Almost went into my older intro there. Yeesh. That's been buried in my subconscious for a while, I suppose. I am your host, Robert Winfrey, and here at this show, we are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. This week, uh, a review of last night's, primarily a review of last night's UFC event. You've seen ESPN plus 59. Relative to how meh the card was on paper, definitely over-delivered. Uh, 100% overperformed relative to expectations. Low expectations will help with that, but I'm not complaining too loudly about that card. Uh, it's not great, but we'll go over all the details. Um, there was a lot of combat sports stuff Saturday. A lot. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the highlights from some of the other events. Uh, there was a Bellator event. I talk about Bellator on occasion. Uh, not, you know, weekly or whatnot, because I don't find the general Bellator product that interesting. But there was at least one thing on this car, on that particular card I want to talk about, because good lord. Uh, there was a finish on that that was brutal. Just brutal. Uh, it was a boxing event. There was a... I don't really talk about BKFC for... Should be fairly obvious reasons, but I might talk a little bit about their event. Uh, we'll see. And then a preview of this coming UFC on ESPN Plus 60, which got a new main event. Uh, whew, we'll talk about that. We will absolutely be talking about that. Because that came about quick. So that's what's on the agenda for this particular evening. Uh, before we get into the show proper, please do like, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. Any and all of that helps. Uh, helps keep the show going. Helps the algorithm, which is the dark and unknowable beast that will soon control all of our lives. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, just give us a hand. Always helps. All right. Yeah, let's jump into this. So... Start with the main event. UFC on ESPN Plus 59 main event. Jamal Hill defeats Johnny Walker via knockout. He punched him good in the temple. Uh, 255 of the first round. Uh, not a whole lot to say about this uh, in terms of technique, and it barely lasted half a round. few things of note. Um... Johnny Walker is a weirdly, like, he just moves very strangely. And sometimes you can make that work to your advantage. Other times, it's just it's just odd. And I think it kind of hurt him a little bit here. Every time he was moving, because Hill was pressuring him very quickly, pretty much instantly. Uh, Walker was always circling to his own right. And I... That kind of predictability is just going to get you in trouble if you stay predictable. And that's just kind of how that goes. Uh, his kicking game, he's kicked a lot. And Johnny Walker kicks really hard. Uh, as evidenced by the damage to Jamal Hill's forearm. He was being interviewed after the fact. And he kind of raised his right arm to uh, point at something or uh, some kind of motion. And there's this giant bit of swelling, like visibly. And uh, Paul Felder, who was uh, doing the interviews for this particular event, just... 
mentioned it, and you know, she didn't seem to think anything was broken or that it was seriously injured, but if you block a couple of kicks and your arm swells up like that, somebody's kicking really hard. Uh, the problem with Walker, and this goes back to his time when he was more on the regional scene in Brazil and whatnot, his defense does not really hold up. And in this particular instance, he was trying to catch uh, Hill coming in, and Hill just cracked him with a 1-2, the right hand straight to the temple. The way Walker fell, like Johnny Walker can't do anything that isn't goofy. Whether it's his fights, whether it's his celebrations, or his losses. Uh, fell down his head. Oh. The way he fell and like the distance between his body and the cage was just right for his head to hit the cage and then kind of get propped up onto his chest, which is the... That's bad, man. If you're... That can cause neck issues. Like, that ain't good. Uh, doesn't seem like there were any. I mean, we'll know more, obviously, as uh, time goes on, if he had some kind of a more serious injury, but nothing immediate um, that was immediately apparent, I should say. Uh, solid win for Hill. He's continuing to climb the ranks. This should put him... At, he was number 12, and Walker was 10 in the division. Light heavyweight's a division that seems to be per, uh, perpetually in need of some kind of talent influx and whatnot, so he's got some skills. Uh, he's got power. He's got some decent setups for it. I mean, he's not undefeated in the UFC. He's got a he's got a loss to Paul Craig, but set, I mean, he's got a he's only got the one loss. Uh, that that being to Craig, he has one no contest. Uh, that got. It was originally a win, excuse me, originally a win for Hill that was overturned due to a marijuana test. You can tell how much I care about that, can't you? Uh, he's he's definitely someone that needs to be paid attention to. Uh, he's He's got some serious skills. He's a pretty big guy. He's long. He's, uh, he's definitely going to be making some waves. I don't know how far he's going to get. We've yet... I mean, Craig was the closest we got to seeing him actually wrestled. Uh, Ovin St. Preux didn't really try. And Walker didn't really try. So seeing him against someone who is a more dedicated wrestler will be interesting, but uh, he should be in the top ten. He should be fighting up again, would be my hunch about what's next for him. Uh, he's on a good run. On a really good run. As for Walker, uh, I don't know that SBG Ireland was the right place for him to go when he wanted to kind of retool. Um, that That's not... I shouldn't say that. Let me be clear about what I'm about to say. I am not trying to disparage SBG Ireland. This is not about whether or not that's a good camp. It's obviously a good camp. It's more about how does that mesh with this individual fighter. And I'm not sure that, I don't know, uh, it's only the second time he's been you know, with that particular team, so, but you've lost twice now, one of them in a lackluster fight, and here you get kind of blown out of the water. Uh, I don't know. This has kind of been a bit of the, the book on him. Once he gets kind of figured out, it's really hard for him to make a serious adjustment. So, he's 1-4 in, in his last five. Uh, it's not a good place to be. 
not a good place to be. Even in a even in a uh, fairly weak division like light heavyweight, it's a bad place to be. Right, co-main event. Kyle Dawkins fighting Jamie Pickett. This was at a catch weight of 195 pounds. Pickett stepped in on short notice to replace Julian Marquez. Marquez and, Dar and Dawkins would be a pretty darn good fight, actually. Uh, sadly, again, we did not get that here. The end of this fight, Kyle Dawkins defeats Pickett via Darce Choke submission at 459 of the first. They went a little bit back and forth, but... I think the short notice affected Pickett here. He didn't seem to have a good handle uh, on Dawkins as an individual. I mean, Pickett's got a fair amount of ability. I'm not at all trying to insult the man. When you step in on short notice, it can be really hard to get your timing and to get the feel for the specific person across from you, especially when you get to a higher level of competition. Training opponent-specific like that is very, very important. And he didn't... Uh, obviously, he did not have time for a lot of that. Um, they hit the ground. They had some fun scrambles. Uh, nothing major, but they had some fun little scrambles. Um, at one of them, Pickett comes up on a single leg. Dawkins threatens the Darce, and we're on short time in the round, so you don't quite think it's going to get there. Uh, but he spends the last little bit working it, you know, making the small adjustments. We couldn't... Obviously, you can't see the hands and whatnot most of the time. But if you can watch, um, Dawkins' right arm is the arm that's around the neck. So his left arm is the one that he's grabbing his own left biceps, and his left hand is the one you can see. The more of that hand you can see over the back of the guy being choked, in this case, Pickett, that's a pretty good indicator of how tight it is. Uh, he taps again with one second left. He addressed this just a bit, um... He, there's a school of thought, and I'm not saying whether this is right or wrong, but there is a bit of a school of thought that if you're in a choke, you should never tap, you should just go to sleep. There are some competitive jiu-jitsu teams and individuals that use that philosophy. There are some fighters who espouse it. I am not here to advocate for or against that as a position or a philosophy. Uh, if that, that's up to you. Uh, I don't, uh, again, my personal view, I would rather tap than go to sleep, but I'm not a fighter, so that's, again, that is just my personal view. I, being choked unconscious is not good for the brain, but if it's, unless someone's holding it for a prolonged period of time and seriously depriving oxygen to the brain, you're probably not going to suffer any severe, like, any severe brain damage from it. It, it. You have to really deprive the brain of oxygen. So, again, it's not like the people who decide that, hey, for training today, everyone put your hands down and we're just going to practice getting punched in the face. Like, that's just stupid. So, it's not quite like that, but there is that philosophy out there. Pickett got a bit of abuse, apparently, online, because it's the internet and people do that. Uh, so, he took to explain his position, and he said one of the reasons he tapped was his tongue got caught between his teeth. Uh, his gut, his uh, mouth guard was still in, but it's only so much help that is. And if he, if your tongue is caught between your teeth when you're in a guillotine or a darce choke or anything like that, that compression, you can bite your tongue off if somebody squeezes you hard enough. I mean, part of the reason Jim Miller tapped out when uh, Nate Diaz caught him in a guillotine was his tongue was stuck between his teeth. 
not not the only reason, obviously, it was a tight guillotine to begin with, but you stick something, you know, that big, you know, that chunk of muscle in your mouth that you use to swallow, communicate, you know, all that important stuff, you threaten the integrity of the tongue, and people get a little bit defensive because that will that will mess your life up if your tongue gets seriously injured. Just throwing that out there. So I'm not bla- I'm not throwing any shade at the guy. I mean, even if he had even if he had just tapped out because he was about to go to sleep, like I wouldn't have thrown shade at him for that either. But for you know, potentially your tongue being stuck in a compromised position while your neck's be while your neck's being squoze like that and you're being compressed down the way a Darcy choke compresses you, yeah, no. I'm not gonna... I'm just not gonna do it. Solid win for Dawkus. Uh, not a bad little fight. Uh, heavyweights. Parker Porter defeats Alain Badeau via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board. Um, I had it first round to Porter, second round to Badeau, third round to Porter, and I think that's the general consensus. Um, not a terribly compelling fight, uh, but Doe seemed to get off really slow. Porter kind of got the first round largely on, you know, a few leg kicks, some control positions, some clinch work. Third round, Bado was able to keep a bit more distance, work his clinch game a bit more effectively, and just kind of snipe from the outside. Third round, going Bado's way, and then Porter gets a takedown and spends the last, like, two minutes or so in top position, closing the round in full mount. Uh... Not a great fight. I don't think it's going to like wind up on my worst fight of the year list, but not very good. Uh, your feel-good moment of the evening, Jim freaking Miller defeats Nicholas Mata via TKO, punches uh, 158 of the second. <laughs> Jim Miller, man. Uh, before I talk about Jim, let me go over the fight a little bit. Mata did not look bad. Uh... I haven't seen too much of his regional stuff, but some of the people out there who watch a lot of MMA at every level, Caposa, uh, uh, Grabaka Hitman in particular, had mentioned he was looking forward to Mata's you know, UFC debut. So he's he's not some scrub that they brought in to feed to Jim Miller kind of thing, you know? Uh, he looked pretty good for portions of this. He had a decent jab. He was able to find his right hand. Uh, Miller fights southpaw. I believe he is left-handed. Uh, Mata Orthodox, and Miller's entries when he wants to close distance, he tends to come in a little bit straight on the center line with his head, so Mata was able to tag him a few times, his, uh, his Miller's left eye was starting to discolor a little bit, but Miller's got a wicked inside leg kick, now the traditional uh, southpaw double, if you're talking kickboxing, you use the left kick to the body, uh, or to the head, and then the left straight, and you can kind of mix those up in terms of a little bit of targeting and a little bit of which one you throw, but throwing both of them in succession can monkey with people. They either take the first one and try to counter, or in blocking one, they open up the other. Miller doesn't like to kick the body. Now, he, he threw a few here, but that's not primarily his target. I I think he's a little bit worried about being taken down. Uh, that's been a problem of his for most of his career. When he stumbled at the highest level, it was people out wrestling him. And that's still been a problem for him lately. So I think he's... I don't think body kicks are a big part of his arsenal as a general rule these days. And head kicks, you know, the man's... It's not that he never throws them, but kicking someone in the head is a pain in the butt. 
got to get your leg all the way up there. I'm not. I don't accuse anyone who doesn't throw head kicks of being lazy or something. You, you might. Sometimes you just might have a bad week with your hips, and then your just leg doesn't want to go up there. Happens. It uh, happens to me all the time, actually. Uh, I, I've been trying to get a handle on what's monkeying up with my hips for a while. So I've found, you know, find stretches. I've got a my chiropractor on occasion when I happen to go in to see him is kind of trying to work with it because I would like to kick higher on a regular basis than I do. And <laughs> I don't have the highest kick. So, and it's not because I'm lazy. It's just my hips are a little bit monkeyed up. So if he's got something like that, that was kind of bothering him, maybe he just didn't feel like throwing it to the head, but he, he has for a long time used the inside leg kick because he's frequently in opposite stances. And he will chop your base, square you up, and then punch you in the face with his left hand. And it's a really effective combination. So he was tearing up Mata's lead leg with that kick for the first round. Uh, close first round. What led to the finish, Miller, when he normally blitzes forward, um, he does a couple of different combinations with his hands, but they're kind of the same. He will throw a lead hand uppercut and then a left. Uh, that's the one he tends to throw the most. It's the one he kept throwing at Mata here. Uh, anytime he would blitz, it was either lead hand uppercut, st- uppercut straight left or straight left lead hand uppercut. And he hadn't had a tremendous amount of success with it, but he did kind of... You do that enough, and he did it, I think, three, three or four times before the finish. Uh, so over the, you know, almost seven minutes of fighting. You do something like that enough, people think they have a read on it, so they start reacting. Well, when he went to Blitz this time, you can see Mata, he throws a counter right, but he brings his left hand uh, more into the center. He's anticipating something coming at him straight or up. So again, either the uppercut, so he's got uh, the arm there to block that, or a straight punch where he, that he can deflect. And then firing the right-hand counter. They Again, they'd done that particular clash more than once at this point. Miller didn't throw a lead hand uppercut or a straight left. He threw a right hook. <laughs> and when Mata's left hand came in a little bit, anticipating an attack down the center line, well, that opens up the side of your head for the hook. Uh, cracks him with a right hook, drops him, gets down there, pounds him out on the ground. L- slightly late stoppage. He mentioned after the fact that he thought it was late. Uh, what I like the way he went about that because he said... I thought it was a late stoppage, but then imme- also immediately when I know the referee's job is tough and I sure don't want to do it, but I did think that was a little bit late. And if you're going to do it, I think that's the way to do it. You know, you state your case, but you do also acknowledge the difficulty of the job being done. And especially this one. It again was a little bit late for me, but not... Uh, I'm to say this the right way. I don't think it passed the into the kind of egregious zone. It was a touch late, but we're not talking one of the worst non-stoppages ever. So, uh, solid win for Miller. That ties him with Donald Cerrone for the most wins in UFC history at 23. That was his 39th fight in the UFC. The man just keeps on trucking. Uh... How the heck can you not like Jim Miller, man? 
it, seeing the outpouring of respect that other fighters have for this guy. You know, they always show him on the broadcast and whatnot. Uh, they'll show tweets, and you can you know, find them on Twitter yourself if you're willing to kind of sift through a bunch of stuff. But, uh, I mean, you even had, like, Habib, uh, who was saw this, and I think he was cage-side. He might have been sitting next to Jared Leto for this one. Pretty sure I saw that picture circulating. It was something like that. It was either this one or... Uh, it wasn't 271. I'm pretty sure it was this one. Uh, just the old war horses, you know, that just kind of keep on going. And here's Jim Miller still battling the after effects of Lyme disease. Almost in his 40th fight in the UFC. 38 years old. And just still showing up, still willing to fight. And his goal is to fight on UFC 300. He said this. Uh, and frankly... Because he's fought on, he's one of only two people to have fought on UFC 100 and UFC 200. You know, there's Brock Lesnar. And he wants to make it to UFC 300. That's going to be a bit of a stretch. If you look at how often the UFC tends to hold pay-per-views, uh, it would probably have to be like 24, September 2024. Is what I think when they're projected, and I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know that his body will hold up that long. But I'm just gonna put it like this: if they keep giving him these kind of debuting fighters, uh, these are fights that he can either continue to win or not lose uh, badly. And. He might do it. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying it. He might do it. I mean, the guy's already... His name is just plastered across the record books. Again, most... Tied for most wins in UFC history, most bouts in UFC history, most bouts in the lightweight division, most wins in the lightweight division, most finishes in the lightweight division. Um, he's tied for most submission wins in lightweight history with Charles Oliveira. They both have nine. Um... He has the most submission attempts in UFC history. He has some... Um, what's the other one? I think he has the second most... No, he now has the most finishes in lightweight in UFC lightweight history with this one. Yeah, he passed Joe Lozon, I think, finally. So, I mean, the guy's been in the UFC since, like, 2008? Yeah, 2008. And he's, you know, what, three and two in his last five? He's on a pretty decent run recently, believe it or not. Uh, I mean, two and two in his last four, but if we go back a little bit further, yeah, he's five and three in his last eight. That's not bad. So, I, I'm, uh, look, I, I always root for Jim Miller. I've watched that guy's career for a shockingly high percentage of it. I mentioned this last week, I think. I, I did watch his one fight in the IFL, and this was just before his UFC debut in 08. He beat Bart Pawlaszewski, who would go on to have a pretty decent run in the WEC. Uh, it He's just still out there, still kicking. So, you know what? Good on him. 
You know, I'm never going to say anything bad about Jim Miller. <clears throat> and kicking off the main card, Joaquin Buckley defeated Abdul Razak Al-Hassan via split decision. These were 29-28s. I was 29-28 Buckley. I gave Buckley one and two, and then Al-Hassan the third. The first was close enough, I suppose, that I don't object to the split. Uh, Buckley had a good couple of rounds. He made Al-Hassan miss. Uh, a fair bit, actually. He was good about kind of sniping him to the body and head. Towards the second round, Al-Hassan gassed. He was putting himself on the fence and then just kind of covering up. And Buckley was going and tee off a little bit. He f- got some good body shots in there as well. But Al-Hassan caught his second wind, whereas Buckley started fading in the third. Try to take down wasn't great. Al-Hassan got on top and just kind of rode out the round there. Um, got nearly to full mount by the end of it. And, you know, there's another 30 seconds or so in that round. Does he maybe get the stoppage? He, he might have. You know, to be perfectly candid, there is a bit of a 10-8 argument for Al-Hassan in the third. A bit. And it might be more accurate... If you want, I think if you wanted a m- more accurate reflection of the action to give Buckley the first two and then Hassan a 10-8 third and wind up with a draw. Uh, not what I did live, but I just want to point out I do believe there's an argument for that. So, um, Not a bad fight. Uh, not great, but they were both just so gassed by the end of this. As soon as that fight ends and uh, Alassane's on top, he just flops off to the side, and they're both just laying on their backs, you know, uh, feet on the map, but knees up, and they're both just laying there, just sucking wind. And this was a pretty high-paced fight for gentlemen that are this large and this well, and both these guys are just built. I mean, somebody mentioned, uh, one of the commentators, uh, I forget if it was Felder or Cruz, but Al-Hassan is like NFL running back legs. And he really does. That that man has some thighs on him. Uh, Buckley's upper body is very well built. Uh, and guys, and you know, all that muscle takes oxygen. It's what fatigues you faster. So they fought at a pretty decent clip for guys of this size. And they fought a fight style that was draining. It was a fair bit of clinching. Uh, Buckley tried to work the wrestling in there. Sometimes just to give Al-Hassan something else to think about, but that still takes energy. Now, understandable that they were both tired by the end of it, but for either of these gentlemen, if you ever want to even consider putting them in a five-rounder, they, they've they got to work on their cardio. But that was the main card. As for the prelims, uh, we, had some, we had some gnarly stuff on the prelims, man. Uh, David Onama defeats Gabriel Benitez via knockout punches, 424 of the first. Uh, this was a catch weight, 148. Benitez missed weight again. Uh, I believe this is his second time doing so. Um, or not. Hang on. Uh, no, this is his first time in the UFC. Why did I think he'd... Hmm. Why had I... Why did I think he'd had weight issues before? I know he's had harder weight cuts. That might be what I'm confusing, because he had a pretty gnarly cut for the the fight before this when he first came when he came back to featherweight after spending some time at lightweight, uh, the Billy Corantillo fight. 
Uh, and that was a bit of a struggle. So, all right, this was still his first, so I'm not gonna yell. I'm not gonna yell at the guy too much. Um, he was doing pretty good against Onama for a while. Both gentlemen, he landed a uh, right hand, right or a left. I think it was a left because it messed up Onama's right eye. Uh, it was a punch. It was perfectly legal, but it caught him in the eye, and he started wiping at it and said after the after the fact that he couldn't see out of his eye. You know, it was kind of a mess. But uh, I forget what the shot was exactly that started things going downhill for Benitez because he was very aggressive for a lot of this. Uh, doing a pretty good job landing kicks. He's a very hard kicker. He had some nice body kicks that he landed. Uh, but there was a punch that Onama landed, and you could tell it was effective because Benitez stopped what he was doing. Uh, this wasn't right before the finish. The stuff that started the finish, uh, Onama backs Benitez up to the fence. Benitez throws a body kick. He connects, but Onama counters him with a punch. And it it rocks him. And you can see him start kind of immediately trying to circle. But he's, uh, Onama cuts him off, keeps him on the fence. And then Onama just unloads. Uh, knocks him out standing. Uh, brutal finish. Uh, very, very brutal finish. Solid win for Onama, overcoming a little bit of adversity. Benitez, it might... I don't like calling for guys to lose their job. I've said that before. Benitez is 1-4 in his last five. He's been with the UFC since 2014. His UFC record is, what, right about the 500 mark? Hang on, let me check this real fast. He has six wins. Yeah, this brought him to 6-6 six and six in the UFC. Uh, I'm not calling for the guy's job, to be clear. But... The UFC might have gotten the best that they're going to get out of him. And when they get to that point with fighters, if they're not, you know, important pieces of the puzzle in some respects, they tend to cut bait and then use whatever they were paying you to pay like four guys off the contender series. Uh, Stephanie Egger defeated Jessica Rose Clark via armbar, 344 of the first. I'm not going to say a bad decision from Clark to force the clinch with Edgar quickly. I am going to say I'm not sure that I'm not sure she should have forced it as soon as she did. Clark has a good clinch game. But Edgar is primarily a judo player. And that became very apparent. She hit um she was working from overhooks, but she was able to hit the um Oh, what do they call it? I believe no Soto Gari in judo. Um, ah, I forget what the wizard kick is. Wizard kick's in Uchimata. Pretty sure about that. So I think this would have been the Osoto Gari, which is uh, if we're you know essentially chest to chest. You you're not strictly chest to chest, but for the sake of argument, go with me here. Then my like left foot goes in front of your in front of your legs, and then you kind of get hip tossed over. Uh, I believe I can't remember. Judo names are awesome because if you understand the Japanese, they're just describing the technique. 
Uh, you know, it's a unwinding armbar or a cross buttock throw, which I believe was what is what this one was. So I'm, I'm going to double check that. I don't want to look like too much of a jerk here. Okay, there's a little bit less like across the hip action, but that is more or less what I'm thinking of here. So I, I double checked that. I'm sure if there's some like uh, decent judoka that's listening to this and is willing to you know, correct the the specific nuance of this, I, I'm happy to listen. I don't know all the judo terminology off the top of my head. But I believe that, again, the, the Uchimata and the Wizard Kick, if you're a wrestler, are kind of the same thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty sure about that one. So I believe this is you know kind of what we're doing here with the uh, uh, is the Osotogari. It's becoming a more common position that's used in MMA, actually. Uh, because guys can do it, fighters can do it from the overhook instead of having to pummel all the time. If you've got a good Wizard... You know, you can step around and throw someone like that instead of having to pummel and then work uh, and, and you know, fight in the clinch for a uh, better position. So you're seeing it a little bit more. You also don't have to widen your base out as much. So if you're not worried about somebody dropping onto your hips, you can bring your feet a little bit closer together for when you're trying to make that work. Uh, anyway, neither here nor there in some respects. She hit that. Uh, Clark rolled to her back, uh, rolled to her knees, gave up her back. Um, Egger gets the back and then very quickly goes for the armbar. Sorry. Let's go through this step by step. She hits the, she hits the throw. First time she hits it, Clark stands up. Second time she hits it, she actually gets the Kisagatami, the scarf hold position. And if, I think Jack Slack mentioned this, and if you talk with, um, especially people who do either judo or catch wrestling, someone who knows what they're doing from, Sambo too a little bit actually, now that I think about it. Uh, it's a position that a lot of jiu-jitsu people don't spend a tremendous amount of time in. Uh, but if you're a judo player, you love that position because judo, you can score, you can win via pin. So if you have good control from that position, especially off of a throw, you can, even if you don't get the full epon for the throw, you can pin someone from there. Uh, and if you're a catch wrestler, kind of the same thing. Uh, but someone who knows what they're doing from that position uh, it's miserable, man. And Egger seemed to have a pretty good handle on it. Clark finally kind of, uh, Egger goes to isolate the arm. Clark tries to, uh, get to her knees, uh, and dissuade the arm bar. Here's the thing about this, and, uh, this, this is something you should keep in mind, depend, knowing your opponent. Um, if you watch a lot of jujitsu players, they don't, do a lot of arm bars from the back. In fact, arm bars from the back in MMA are a little bit of an underutilized weapon. But a lot of jujitsu guys don't like going for them because you potentially give up the position. Having the back is the most, I believe it's the most dominant scoring position there is in jujitsu. Uh, that might change a little bit depending on the rule set you're using. So, but as a general rule, it's certainly the most dominant position available to combat sports where grappling is involved. Because you're at essentially zero threat from your opponent. And don't tell me about the footlocks you can do if people cross their ankles while they've got their hooks. And just please don't. <laughs> you know what I mean here. Uh, so jujitsu guys will rather just like use their hooks, use a seatbelt, control, hand fight, go for the choke. Like they'll just ride out rounds like that. Um, judokas are a little bit different because... 
uh, again, you can get pinned in judo. So a lot of judo players, if they start going down, first of all, they're taught not to fall on their backs because falling on your back is what scores points. A little bit like wrestlers in that respect. So they will always, they're happy to go to the turtle position. If you watch competitive jiu-jitsu, you see people get to that spot a fair bit and just kind of, and the person trying to work whatever they're trying to work on the ground, you don't have a lot of time uh, because of the scoring criteria and rule set that judo operates under. But they get real good about finding an arm from that turtle guard. And she had one here. The other thing that judo guys are really good at, they're good about forcing you to roll when they're going for the arm bar. Uh, Ronda Rousey used to do this all the time. And you see Egger do it again here. Um, whichever, are, whichever leg is closer to the head, instead of just putting it over the face to try and extend the arm, if they want to roll you, you take that leg and you put the shin on the back of the head. Then you flex that, you know, kind of forward, so you're cramping the neck, uh, you're compressing the chin to the chest. And as you do that, you push with the other one onto the chest, so you get the leverage motion to flip them over. Once they're flipped over on their back, defending becomes a lot more difficult. Extend the arm, get the tap. Solid win for Stephanie Egger. I mentioned the, st the strategy. I wasn't sure that Clark clinching up this early was the best idea. Her clinch game, as I mentioned, is pretty decent. I just would have preferred that maybe she try to wear out Egger at distance a little bit more before engaging in the clinch with someone who is primarily a judo player. But I'm not her coach. I'm not her strategist. That's just me observing. Uh, Chaz Skelly announced he was planning on retiring after this fight. His body just struggling to hold up. And I mentioned it last week. You know, the guy's been out of action for a while. He defeats Mark Striegel via TKO, knee and punches, 201 to the second. Uh, really nice finish here, actually. Skelly fighting southpaw. Comes in with a lead upward elbow, just off the lead arm. Uh, coming in and just brings it up. Cracks Striegel in the face. That kind of gets to him a little bit. He throws a knee. And I don't think he was aiming at the chin. He was. I think he was aiming more at like the... Uh, either the solar plexus or the, you know, the upper chest. But the way Striegel kind of moves, it lands on the chin. He flops back. Uh, Skelly jumps on him. Pretty darn good win. I don't, we'll have to see if he sticks with his talk of retirement or not. Um, he might. If it's his body that's causing problems, you know, he, that's, uh, if it's not holding up the way you need it to for, you know, training and then fighting, like, you don't really have a choice there. Like that That's when it's time to call it. Uh, women's straw weight. Gloria DePaula defeated Deanna Belbicha via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. Uh, not a whole lot to say about this one. Uh, Chad and Helliger defeated Jesse Strader via TKO punches. 333 of the third. Strader looked pretty darn good. Uh, I gave him the first... I thought Helliger might have edged the second, but Strader could easily have been up too. Uh, I forget exactly how I scored that second round in real time. Uh, but Strader was doing good, fought, had some good kicks, pretty good about forcing grappling, but Helliger stayed calm, had solid punches. The finish, um, Strader comes in towards him when Helliger's on the fence, and Helliger switched southpaw at this point. Um, Strader, I think, normally fights Southpaw, and Helliger had gone that way, or Strader does a lot of stance switching, one of the two. Um, he was Southpaw for the finish, that I remember. So, I think Strader did a fair bit of switching. 
anyway, he comes in and and Helliger clocks him with a left. It's a nice little like just step back, plant, fire the left hand. Well, Strader eats it, not too happy about it, but immediately comes back in, looking to re-engage, but on the same line without moving his head. So and Helliger just throws the same punch again, just with a lot more heat on it, clobbers him, gets on top, pounds him out. Uh, n- nice little finish from Helliger there. Just remember, people, whether you're on the giving or the receiving end, if you show someone something and you get a and you get a response, and they do the same thing without ad- adjusting to it, just do it again harder. I mean, that's kind of how Rose Namajunas beat Joanna the first time. She just showed that that uh, you know, right hook. She showed it like two or three times in a row, and Yuana never reacted to it. So finally, just throw it with feeling, and boom. You know, same thing here. You come in on a line, not moving your head, you get clocked. You come back in on that same line right away, and all right, thank you for giving me the same thing twice. Uh, featherweight, Jonathan Pierce defeated Christian Rodriguez via unanimous decision, 30-27, and then two 29-28s. Pierce is a good grappler but his striking defense needs some pretty serious work uh, he's getting by on kind of his grit at this point and that's it's good it's a good attribute to have but that will only carry you so far there's some refinement that needs to be done uh, now in fairness to Pierce he's he's 29. Is 29, and he's got 16 fights. Um, I mean, he's three and one in the UFC. That one loss was when he fought up at lightweight on short notice. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not trying to bury the guy. You know, there's he's still young enough, but there's some ironing out that needs to happen there. And kicking everything off, Mario Bautista defeated Jay Perrin via unanimous decision, 230-27-130-26. Decent little fight here. Um, yeah, Perrin stepped in on a fairly short notice. Um, he was replacing Khalid Taha. Uh, so I give him credit for looking as good as he did, given the circumstances. But he was kind of just outgunned everywhere by Batista. So, uh, to the shock of no one, bantamweights bring it again. <laughs> yeah, the two male bantamweight fights on this card. And you had Anne Helliger and Strader, and then Batista and Perrin, both really good fights. Uh, your performances of the night. There was no fight of the night awarded, which I think might have done Batista and Perrin just a little bit dirty, but uh, or you know, and Helliger and Strader. Like, that was a pretty good fight between those two guys. Uh, anyway, the performances went to Jamal Hill, Kyle Dawkins, David Onama, and Stephanie Egger. I mean, I'm certainly not going to complain about any of that. Those are all certainly good finishes. Uh, I might have thrown one Jim Miller's way, but, you know, that's just me. Do I think it was better than... Uh, they might have given one to Doc. It's just to give one to one of the... And they gave one to Edgar, too. Hmm. I don't know what the criteria is. These are done, of course, at the UFC's discretion, and they're not going to tell anyone why they do what they do, because they are under no obligation to do so. As a general rule. Alright, that was UFC on ESPN plus 59. I thank everyone who was following along with my live coverage or anyone who read the report after the fact. You can find it in the MMAZona411mania.com. 
right, let's talk a little bit about some of the other combat sports activities from the weekend. Again, I'll try to be brief here. If we're talking Bellator, uh, Storley, Logan Storley defeated Neiman Gracie via unanimous decision. Um, probably the only round of this worth taking a second look at is the fourth. Uh, the rest of it was Storley stopping Gracie from trying to get takedowns and then just, uh, you know, doing it better work on the feet. I think he got the back at one point. I forget the round. Uh, clear win for Storley. The the fight I did want to, the other thing I wanted to touch on here was uh, the return, not, not strictly speaking, the Bellator return of um, uh, Andrei Koreshkov. Uh, he came back and he, he beat the brakes off of Saba Hamasi, man. Uh, he finally was able to get back to, uh, to fighting for Bellator after being stuck in Russia during a lot of the pandemic. And yeah, he, he beat up Saba Hamasi not that long ago. And then here he fought uh, Chance Rencounter, stepped in on fairly short notice. Uh, and the finish of this was, oh, it was brutal. Um, Koreshkov is able to just time a pretty good spinning back kick. He was out of the southpaw stance. He was out of the orthodox stance, which his right leg goes into the liver side of uh, of Rencounter, and he dro- he folds up like a suitcase. I mean, just he gets hit and he just collapses. Well, turns out, and Rencounter posted his X-rays after the fact, <laughs> uh, as well as had a little bit of a statement to go along with it. Let me uh, let me find it here. So as far as the X-ray goes, um, yeah, there are five broken ribs. Four of them look like they're completely clean, and then the fifth uh, is cracked nearly all the way through. Uh, his his comment, I believe this comes from his Instagram account, uh, feeling pretty chipper for a man with five broken ribs, a punctured lung, full of blood, and a bruised kidney. Ow. Not the way I envisioned uh, my Bellator return playing out. Congratulations to Koreshkov. Big thank you to Bellator. It happens. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I shouldn't say blah, but you know, a lot of the same stuff that usually follows. Uh, yeah, it's a gnarly, gnarly kick that Koreshkov lands there. Just... Just brutal, and it just should kind of go to show everybody that, uh, yeah, just just the brutality that goes into fighting. Just a reminder for those of you who might forget on occasion. I mean, heck, I do on occasion, and I watch this stuff all the time. So, uh, let's see. All elsewhere, um, Kel Brook beat the crap out of Amir Khan. I mean, to the point where that got a little bit uncomfortable to watch. Um, Brooke had Khan on pretty shaky legs, like in the second round, I think. Uh, stop, I think he stopped him in the sixth or just after it. Um, double check that. I want to make sure I get the round right here. Uh... Yeah, TKO a minute into the sixth. That was it. Okay. Um, yeah, again, I'm not sure that I was comfortable with, with this fight, watching it, you know, after the, like, third or fourth round. Just 
I don't know what the purpose was. Uh, yep, Brooke. Brooke was really, really good for a lot for quite a while. Uh, I mean, he was undefeated through his first 36 fights. Uh, did most of his work in kind of at the welterweight level, but he took a he took a pretty big step up in competition when he fought. Uh, he had, I mean, he has a win over Sean Porter, majority decision over 12 rounds, and that got him the IBF welterweight title. Um, then he had the misfortune of fighting Gennady Golovkin. When and this was 2016, so Golovkin is just on his tear of all tears. And man, Golovkin broke his face. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that literally. Uh, he his orbital bone was destroyed by Gennady Golovkin. Uh, it then he comes back. I mean, he came back so fast. Yeah, I mean, that happened to him in September of 16. He's fighting May of 17. And he fights Errol Spence Jr. and gets kind of outclassed and then knocked out in the 11th. Um, he rebounded okay, went on a three-fight winning streak, then got stopped in four rounds by Terrence Crawford. And you know, Look, Terrence Bud Crawford might be the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world. He's certainly up there. I don't know exactly where he falls on your per, on your personal list, but that dude is exceptional. Uh, it's a, he's a little bit shot at this point, and that's mostly because of the beating that Gennady... I mean, it, that fight with Golovkin ended in the fifth. Understand how bad a beating that was for that short of a fight. I mean, Golovkin ruined him in a lot of ways. Uh... But you know, he's still kind of kicking around, so I wanted to give him that. Uh, so that happened. Talking about Bellator. Um, Bare Knuckle BKFC had their uh, had their event. Um, Chad Mendez got a win on it, so I guess good for him. Juiced to the gills. I mean, that guy's always had a, a, a solid physique, but... I mean... And look, let me be clear about the following. I don't care... The, I don't I don't think bare knuckle tests for has any kind of drug testing. <laughs> I think it's all the joke floating around Twitter with you the the way the way BKFC tests for drugs is if you if you pass the drug test they ask if you want more. Well like they, they give you some. <laughs> um not sure what the future is for Chad Mendez. He's still technically under UFC contract. Uh they're just kind of letting him do this. So I I don't know. It's a, it's a bit of a wonky contract situation there, so I'm not sure what, whether he continues to do that or not. Um, I think their big drawing for this was Mike Perry and Julian Lane. Um, where uh, Perry won via unanimous decision. Uh, Perry dropped him pretty quick in the first. Second? Second. Um, wasn't much of a fight, to be candid. But, you know, that, Bare Knuckle is just not a promotion I necessarily like talking about. Not because I have anything against Bare Knuckle boxing as a, as a combat sport. I don't. But, somebody who fought in BKFC recently died. 
because in no small part because of their matchmaking. Like they matched up someone who really knows how to fight against someone who didn't. Now, sometimes you get two fighters who know what they're doing and bad things happen. And it sucks and you never want to see it happen. You really don't. But then there's times when your matchmaking is like this and I don't I just don't have a tremendous amount of time or patience for stuff like that so it's part of the reason I don't talk about them a whole lot for those who might have been curious about that but nah, I'll lump them in here it's kind of just the weekend of combat sports stuff that happened uh, I think that was it as far as I had for other combat sports stuff that I wanted to talk about yeah sorry, just had to double check my notes there Okay, so let's move on to this coming weekend. Let us look ahead. UFC on ESPN plus 60. This was supposed to be Islam Akashev against um, Benil Daryush. Great fight. Would have crowned the next lightweight contender after Justin Gaethje, I imagine. You've got Daryush on a good winning streak. Makashev's on a great winning streak. Clash of two rising con- of two guys who are right near the top. Then uh, Daryush suffers an injury. Has to pull out. Well, in steps on short notice, a man who fought just a last week. Dude fought on UFC 271. <laughs> uh, Bobby Green will be stepping in on short notice to fill in against Islam Makashev in your main event. It is now a catchweight fight at 160 to accommodate Green's short turnaround. Uh, that said, I sometimes you do the catchweight thing and it kind of impacts what both guys can do going forward. I don't think it'll have... I don't think it'll have any kind of impact um, effect on uh, either Makashev or if Green wins, like wow, that will that will require a serious reorganizing of what is understood about the lightweight division at this point in time, won't it? <laughs> uh, but uh, if Makashev wins, I think we're just going to count this towards lightweight as far as you know what comes next, and he would get the next title if he. I mean, look. Bobby Green does not have the immediate winning streak that Benil Daryush does. He does not have the same standing in the rankings that Benil Daryush does. But if Makashev runs through Bobby Green, especially the way Green has looked lately, especially if he finishes him, and I'm not... I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I mean, when was the last time Bobby Green was finished? Just out of idle curiosity here. I think it was, yeah, the Dustin Poirier fight. I mean, he hasn't been finished that often. Hang on. For a guy with as many losses as he has, he has 12. Um, let's see, Dan Lozon submitted him. David Mitchell submitted him. There was some kind of... Um, uh, when he lost to Tim Means, there was some kind of uh, a stoppage there. It's listed as retirement here, which just means that that doesn't mean you retired from fighting. It uh, means the fight was stopped, and usually by the usually by the corner or the fighter themselves going something's off. Um, you know, whatever. But uh, J.C. Cavalcante couldn't finish him. Barboza couldn't finish him. Poirier did. Rashid Magomedov couldn't finish him. Close and Trinaldo both couldn't finish him. Neither could Moises and Fiziev. Yeah, he hasn't been finished again since that Dustin Poirier fight in 2016. If Makashev is the first guy to finish him in uh, let's see, that was June of 16. 
eight years, give or take. Sorry, four years. No, 16. So, six years. Yeah, sorry. Six years, give or take. <laughs> Went on either side of it. Uh, that would say a lot. So, I, I, I don't think Green is in the position to, if he wins here, get the next title shot the way Daryush might have. But it would be, I think, hands down... Yeah, hands down the biggest win of Bobby Green's career if he can beat Islam Makashev. As far as predictions go, I have to pick Makashev here. Here's something to kind of keep in mind, and I've mentioned this before. Makashev draws a lot of comparisons to Khabib for a number of reasons. One of the things to bear in mind about this, if you were to put them in purely a striking, like strike for strike kind of thing, Makashev has more technical striking than Khabib did. Here's the difference. Khabib built his striking around facilitating his grappling game. So some of the stuff that he would throw and whatnot in his strikes, they're not the cleanest, they're not the most technical, but they're, de they're not designed to be great on their own. They're designed to facilitate what he was overwhelmingly good at. Makashev has a little bit more of the striking being good for its own sake, which is not bad. It's just, it's a point of distinction between the two of them that needs to be acknowledged. And I bring it up here specifically because if Makashev gets a little bit into the, I'm going to strike with Bobby Green just for the sake of striking with him, rather than striking to facilitate my grappling, where he has a significant advantage, that might come back to bite him. Uh, Bobby Green is a very, very good striker. And his his clinch game has come up. You know, his defensive wrestling has come up. I don't think it's going to be enough to really stifle Makashev if Makashev is committed to the idea. But if Makashev decides to spend a bit of time striking with him just to strike with him, that could... That's something to pay attention to. That's all I'm saying. As far as prediction, yeah, I, I'm, I'm picking Makashev. You kind of have to. Uh, but... I'm just, I I just brought it up like if there's a bit of a difference in Makashev's approach that might that could come back to bite him. Um if he's able to you know very rapidly force a clinch and force a lot of wrestling you know it's not that Green is bad at that he's not but there's very few people who are as good at that as Islam Makashev is. So I'm picking Makashev but uh Props to Bobby Green for stepping in on short notice against a guy that you know, nobody really wants to fight. Uh, Co-main event. Uh, middleweight, Misha Serkinov making his second appearance at 185, taking on Wellington Terman. Um, Serkinov is not in a good way right now. This is a guy that I personally had a fair bit of... Uh, I was kind of high on him. Then he suffers a handful of losses that really set him back. And he did not look especially great in his middleweight debut. Some of that might be just the first time that he was making the weight, so I'm... Uh, but he needs a win here pretty badly. He is... Um, his overall UFC record might be on the negative side of things now. He is six. Six and five. So, this could put him at the 500 mark. And he is not just six and five overall. He's two and five in his last seven. 
Uh, not a good spot to be in. And his wins, um, you know, I don't think Pat Cummins is with the UFC anymore. The Jimmy Crute win, okay. Uh, Crute's still kind of kicking around, but he desperately needs, uh, he needs this win pretty badly. And Wellington Terman, speaking of needing a win badly, Terman is 2-3 and three in the UFC with wins over Marcus Perez and Sam Alvey. Um... So th this is kind of Serkinov's last chance, I tend to think. If he can't beat Terman, they are probably going to be ready to part ways with him. Uh, women's flyweight. I don't know how. Okay. The fight itself, Ji-Yun Kim against Priscilla Cachuea. I don't know how Priscilla Cachuea is still with the UFC, first of all, after what she did in her last fight. She should have been cut immediately. If you deliberately eye gouge twice trying to get out of a choke, there's no ambiguity here. She reaches back and you can see her trying to thumb Jillian Robertson in the eye. And she does so twice before she taps out because she's stuck in a choke. That should have been grounds for removing her from the UFC. Straight up. Uh, how she got a main card after that as well, like... Uh, um, I, I can't pick Priscilla Cachuea to win at this point. I mean, Ji Yun Kim, not the she's what three and four in the UFC. They're rewarding Priscilla Cachuea for losing and cheating with a very winnable fight on the main card. Ugh. Sometimes. Sometimes the corruption rears its ugly head, I suppose, doesn't it? I'm picking Kim. I hope she beats the crap out of Cashwaya, and I never have to see Cashwaya again. Lightweight. Good fight here. Good fight. Armin Saryukian and Joel Alvarez. Darn good fight. Saryukian's been coming along. Uh, his only loss in the UFC is to Islam Akashev. He took that fight on short notice, and they had a Great little scramble fight. Um, before that, his only other losses, uh, his second pro fight, uh, which he avenged, a loss he avenged later, um, fighting in uh, on the like the Russian scene. Uh, he's on a four-fight winning streak. He beat the crap out of Christos Yagos last time out. A uh, lot of potential there. Joel Alvarez. Similar story, lost his UFC debut, in his case it was Demiris Magulov, but is on a four-fight winning streak. The rub here a little bit is that Alvarez has missed weight in his last two fights. He missed in the Alexander Yakovlev fight, he weighed at 159.5 for that, then he missed when he fought Tiago Moises, 157.5. I'm a little bit surprised they gave him a third shot at lightweight, to be candid. Uh, he's a big guy for that weight class. He's 6'3". He fights... He, dude's like two inches taller than I am. Fights at 155, for crying out loud. I I might have to cut off a leg to make 155. And again, I'm, you know... I'm not a professional fighter. I'm I'm getting into better shape, but I still weigh like... Oh... My usual... My default response is like 218, plus or minus 3. It's kind of... That's usually where I float. So I'm still north of 200 pounds. Uh, I, and this guy just... 
Now, again, to be clear, you know, he has missed it the last couple of times, so... Uh, we'll see, have to see if he even makes weight. This is a darn good fight, though. Um, Alvarez has a really good submission game. He's uh, a dynamic striker. Sayuki is a dominant wrestler. Both guys have fast hands. I'm very much looking forward to this fight. I think he's going to win. It's a tough one to predict, man. It's a real tough one. I'm going to lean towards Saryukian, but that's a very slight lean. That's a, I would not bet on either side of that. Unless, unless you're getting really good odds, I would not bet on that fight. Like, if either of them is plus 200, you know, if you get like 2 to 1 or so, take a flyer. But other than that, I'm, I'm not touching that one. It's too, uh, middleweight, next up, um, Armin Petrosian and Gregory Rodriguez. UFC really wanted Petrosian to win that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, they're treating him with kid gloves a little bit. Not gimmies, but he is not being match made very difficultly. Putting it out there. He's probably going to win here. That's your main card. Um, they might have changed this around a little bit. Um, I, I know... Uh, they might have. Let me just put it like that. I'm, I'm going to have to double-check this as we get closer to fight night, but this is the currently listed bout order. Uh, lightweight. Zhurong will fight Ignacio Bahamundes. That's a pretty darn good fight, actually. I might actually lean towards Bahamundes there. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards that. Also at lightweight, Terrence McKinney and Farah Ziam. Probably lean towards Ziam. Double-check who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I'll lean towards Yob. Women's strawweight, Jin Yu Fry and Hannah Goldie. Goldie kind of needs a win, doesn't she? Yeah, she beat Emily. Yeah, she still needs one. She uh, beat Emily Whitmire last time out, but that was her first UFC win. Um, Fry, on the other hand, on a two-fight winning streak, she had a rough start to her UFC career. I'm going to lean towards Fry, but Fry has not been terribly impressive since coming to the UFC, so might go the other way there. Bantamweight, Alejandro Perez and Jonathan Martinez. That... Keep your... If you're going to if you're gonna tune into the early prelims for one fight, that's the one. Um, Turbo Perez is a guy I had some... I was pretty high on for a while. Uh, and still am, you know, his only, he just broke a two-fight losing streak, um, lost a decision to Cody Stamen, and then got knocked out by Song Yudong. Uh, but he rebounded by, uh, beating Johnny Eduardo, the really nice scarf hold arm bar, arm bar. It's a really nice arm bar, actually. Uh, I, I think quite highly of Perez, and Jonathan Martinez, uh, that dude brings the fire. I mean, he's, what, 5-3 and three in the UFC? Yeah, he, I mean, he had that knockout loss to Davey Grant, but those two went at it for, like, as long as that fight lasted into the second round. Uh, highlight that one. Highlight that one. That, that's got some serious potential. Serious potential. My inclination is to lean towards Perez, but he might have peaked already, whereas Martinez is still coming on. 
Uh, welterweight Ramiz Brahimai against uh, Michael Gilmore. Probably going to pick Brahimai. He lost to Court McGee earlier this year, actually. Uh, yeah, he just kind of drowned under the wrestling, but that's usually how Court beats people. Um, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Brahimai, but that's just a lean. Um, and I believe kicking everything off at flyweight, we have Victor Altamariano and Carlos Hernandez. I don't think I have... Have I seen Altamariano? You'd think I'd remember the name, if nothing else, right? Uh, he might have lost his UFC debut. No. No, he's on a four-fight winning streak coming into his UFC debut here. Okay. What am I confusing him with? There's a phonetic similarity, not a spelling similarity. Probably Nikolai Negumariano. As opposed to Altamiriano. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume that's where my head was there. Um, Hernandez also making his UFC debut. Both guys coming off of the Contender Series, so... No, I don't really have an idea there. Probably go with uh, Altamirano. Altamirion. I don't know how... The, I'm not sure how the... I'm not sure the pri the pre the proper pronunciation for that, for that one, so... I'm going to apologize if I'm getting it wrong, and we'll just... I'll know it when I hear it, especially if it's John Anik on the call, because John Anik is... Uh, if there's... It's very, very briefly about the broadcast from this last one. It was John Anik, uh, Dominic Cruz, and Paul Felder, which I loved that trio. They didn't quite have the rhythm down yet, but I don't need a hype job. I don't need a hype man on commentary. Some people might, and you might like that personally. I'm not here to shame your taste in commentators, but I don't really, I don't need that, personally speaking. So getting to listen to John Anik just be kind of the smooth setup guy for two very serious analysts. And that's not to say that, you know, Daniel Cormier or whatnot isn't serious about his analysis. But his presentation is very different. Uh, I very much enjoyed that particular broadcast. And one of the things about Anik, he gets whoever, he gets all the fighters to say their name into a recording so he can hear how it's said and practice pronouncing the names correctly. If you go back to uh, the early fights of Khabib, um, whenever he's whenever Khabib's fighting and John Anik is on the call, Anik calls him uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov because that's how he pronounces it. Whenever Mike Goldberg's on the call, it's Nurmagomedov or Nurmagomedov, which is not the proper pronunciation. It's Nurmagomedov. <laughs> But one of those people would do their homework about that, and one of them was Mike Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, there is also, in theory... I'm not sure if this is still on the card or not. It doesn't have a position yet. Did this fall apart? Um, Would this not get updated on the other one? I, okay, I believe we will have somewhere on this card a women's featherweight fight between Josiane Nunes and Ramona Pasqual. Nunes has been has had two other opponents fall out of this fight. Um, she was supposed to fight Wu Yanan, uh, and then she was supposed to fight 
someone who's in, who I'm not familiar with. Um, and yeah, now we've arrived here. We're supposed to be at 135 originally. Now it's up at 145. And if and to be clear about that, if someone's stepping in on short notice and they can't make 135, I don't object at all to bumping these things up in weight. I think we're uh, I think we're a little bit too married to some of these things. So um, Pascual is Taiwanese. Hong Kong. Sorry, wrong flag. Um, or is that the? No, that's the Hong. Yeah, that, that's the Hong Kong flag. Sorry, China. They have. Because there's proper like there's like mainland China that has one flag, and then Hong Kong has its own, and I think they kind of like call them Chinese Taiwan at this point or something. Yeah, that's up. Taiwan's a country that might piss off the Chinese, but Taiwan is its own country, and I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, so, but Chinese Taiwan has their own flag. Uh, they did at the, they do at the Olympics when they compete and whatnot. So just double checking the flag. Yeah, that's the Hong Kong flag. Um, let's see, she fights out of Syndicate MMA. She's affiliated with them. She fights out of Hong Kong, huh? That's just not a surname I would associate with someone fighting out of Hong Kong as a general rule, so be interested to hear more about her story, as I'm sure the broadcast will enlighten me when the time comes. Uh, no problem leaning towards Nunes there. Someone fighting on short notice like that, I tend to favor the fighter who was on there the whole time, at least as far as predictions go, so. And that is UFC on ESPN Plus 60. I will be covering that this Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right, let me check Twitter and whatnot, see if anything crazy news-wise is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right, nothing new, so plugs. All of my usual stuff from last week. I thank everyone who's read and followed along with anything that I did. This week, the usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. That's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Fusion show, whatever. They're kind of bouncing back and forth between titles, so whatever MLW releases on Thursday, we'll be covering that. WWE SmackDown on Friday, and oi. The last two shows, man. Not great. Not great. But whatever they're doing this week, you know, I'll be covering it. So we can start building to... They've got to start building to WrestleMania now. So... Probably a lot of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar pseudo-interactions. Be on the lookout for that. Whatever they're doing, I'll be covering it, so... And then the UFC event on Saturday. So thank you very much to anyone who reads any of that. That is all available over at 411mania.com. Uh, in either the wrestling or MMA zones, respectively, depending on their content. As far as podcasts, uh, last week, I got together with, uh, last week Mark and I did a double feature for Damn You Hollywood. We reviewed the HBO's, uh, HBO Max movie directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring Zora Kravitz, called Kimmy, and the French sort of dark comedy science fiction thing that was done by uh oh i can't remember the french director's name uh guy who directed amelie uh big bug it's on netflix 
So we reviewed both of those movies, the good, the bad, and the otherwise. Uh, I got to yell at critics for a while, especially about Kimmy, which uh, I I think a lot of the critics got that one wrong. Just throwing it out there. This week we'll be talking about the Uncharted movie. This is the adaptation of the Naughty Dog game franchise, which I happen to very much love, starring Tom Holland and starring Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, and Antonio Banderas. So, Mark and I will talk about that on Tuesday. If you're interested in my thoughts on movies as well as other things, please give that a listen uh, over on the W2M network. Um, also, there's a. Uh, I don't anticipate having to do the Peacemaker review on Thursday, but I have seen it all, so I am on deck. Should I should my input on that be necessary? Uh, so be on the lookout for that. If you liked some of the other podcasting stuff I do apart from mixed martial art, <clears throat> mixed martial arts, uh, just follow the W2M network. Uh, on whatever your podcast platform of choice is, and you can find some of the, my other stuff over there. Um, primarily, Damn You Hollywood, uh, though I guest spot on TV parties and occasional fight companions. Some of my old stuff gets re-aired. There's a lot of stuff. So be on the lookout for that on this particular Tuesday, if you're so inclined. On that note, that's it for me. Thank you all for your continued support of the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, please continue to like, comment, subscribe, share. All of it helps. All of it helps. Thank you so, so very much. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, the spike in growth that we saw not too long ago uh, surprised me. And I am very, very grateful for it. And I would like to continue to keep that momentum going a little bit here. So please continue your support. Always, always appreciated. Never taken for granted. Thank you. Stay safe out there per usual and continue, as always, to be well, be safe, and behave.